Clinton. Hello, Nick. How are you? I am uh, fantastic. Thank you very much. Oh, I'm, How... I'm good too. Good. You know, looking forward, you know, we've got a bit of sun here at the moment and I'm looking forward to the, the art of the possible with England. Yeah. Um, they say it's the hope that kills you. Um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> this week is a very decisive week for English football. Yes, and I on the aspect of hope, I think hope is a discipline. And as a football fan myself, uh, and being a Birmingham City fan, I've got plenty of habits of making sure hope is a discipline. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, on the subject of, of hopefulness and hope, we've just had a wonderful conversation, haven't we, with uh, Anna Severite, one of the four uh, conveners of the Social Care Future movement, who so articulately and beautifully outlined uh, the vision of Social Care Future, uh, obviously something she's very much involved with, and these uh, recent five compelling findings from the inquiry that was was held, and some of the asks uh, that are coming out of that. And I just thought, I don't know, I always say this, but I was genuinely inspired by hearing how uh, how much she'd got involved in this movement and how much she'd uh, driven forward some of this this thinking and 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 her vision for it, and uh, seeing this as something that was so inclusive and being open for everyone to, to get involved with a vehicle really um, I think she described it as for, for change and influencing the wider sector and influencing the way we, we think and behave really and understand social care as a as a thing to help us all live good lives uh, but yeah I just thought it was a great great conversation what did you what did you think I thought um, she was brilliant at uh, communicating the bigger communication piece of what uh, social care future is about and for me uh, it's it offers the north star for social care that b- begins to unravel you know the the five key challenges as a roadmap you know to get us there so you know i just think hope like i said uh, i'm always in for hope but we need the discipline to get there yeah absolutely very well put i couldn't agree more on that so without Further ado, let's hear from Anna and her reflections on this this new discipline for uh, achieving this uh, this vision, and her time and reflections as one of the conveners of the social care future movement. Welcome everyone uh, to our latest episode of Changing It Up. We are delighted to have with us today. Anna Severite, who is one of four conveners of the Social Care Future movement. Anna, it's lovely to have you. Thanks for having me. We, as always, Anna, start off with our quickfire questions before we get into the slightly more serious, meaty ones. Here's the first question. If you could only eat one dish or meal for the rest of your life, what would it be? Well, this is tricky because I feel like you have to commit to one thing is quite hard. You do. And I, my instinct would be to say, oh, I'd just have tea and cake because mm-hmm. whatever I eat, it would have to have tea with it. But I do feel that eating cake the rest of my life would probably not be the most balanced diet. So on reflection, I probably would go for, I think maybe like some sort of roast dinner because I think I could eat that and not get too bored of it. But it would be a bit bland. But if I could add a bit of spice sometimes, then... 
Very good choice because you've got all sorts of different things going on in a roast dinner there as well. So yeah, you yeah, different meats, different veg. You can mix it up. You see, I'm changing it up. Okay. Oh, you're changing it up. Yeah, that's a great, great uh, plug there. Perhaps you're going for a whole carvery approach by the sounds of what you just. (laughs) Yeah. Hello, Anna. I like the play on on the words, changing it up. Uh, Great plug. But my question is, and if you could only go to one more place on holiday for the rest of your life, where would that be? I've not been to a huge number of places in my life. And I I always like to experience new places. But if I was going to the same place again, I think I would go back to Barcelona Mm. because I really loved it as a city. I liked the architecture there. It's amazing architecture. I like the food. It's amazing. And it's also got the beach. And I think I really like the coast. So I, I would enjoy that because you've sort of got the best of both worlds, city and beach in one place. So I'd go, I think Barcelona would be my choice. Yeah, I definitely agree with that. When I went on my cruise and we uh, went to Barcelona, the beaches and uh, and the cathedral mm. in Barcelona, mm. absolutely wonderful. Sorry. Stunning, the cathedral, yeah. Fantastic. And the next question for me, how do you like to pass the time? Do you have any um, hobbies or particular interests that you, uh, you're fond of? What do I do? I drink a lot of tea, as yep. previously mentioned. <laughs> I have I grow um, plants indoors, so I, I don't have a garden, but I um, I sort of have outdoor plants, but indoors on the windowsill, so lots of flowers. So I spend my time sort of watering those, um, and I like doing photography. Um, I'm trying to sort of get better at that, I guess, and um, so I go about and try and take photos of nature and things like that. Thanks, Anna. I've seen, I've seen some wonderful pictures that you've shared on uh, uh, social media and your colourful potted plants. I think they're beautiful. Some beautiful uh, potted plants. <laughs> um, what was the last TV show you watched that you really enjoyed? I think the last one I really enjoyed was um, It's a Sin on yeah. Channel 4. I thought that was really like impactful um, about the sort of AIDS epidemic back in the 80s, I guess. Um, uh, yeah, I thought that was really good, um, a really good show. But I am really enjoying watching Wimbledon this week and the football. I've even got into football in the last week, suddenly become an expert. I know nothing about it. But yeah, so I'm enjoying the sport at the moment as well. Yeah. It could be coming home, Anna. It could be. Thank you, Emma. <laughs> Oh, yeah. <laughs> By the time this comes out, who knows? We may have won or we may all be as sad. But, yeah. Yes. <laughs> That's true. This is we are, we're recording on the 5th of July. England play on Wednesday in the semi-finals against Denmark. But we always cling on to hope. Yes, yes. Absolutely. Um, thanks, Anna. What was the last book you read? Oh, yeah, now this one we might have to cut because, to be fair, I don't think I've finished a book in years. I'm not very good at reading anymore. My what was the last book you started reading? <laughs> um, my, my, net, my one at the top of the pile is, um, is it called Labours of Love by Madeline, Madeline Bunting? But I haven't actually even started it yet. That's my next one to read. I would dread this question personally as well, because I am notorious for buying books and just sort of never actually yeah. opening them. Um, I've started trying to stop doing it now because it's just... 
wasteful. But I, and I've just sort of resigned myself to not not being a reader. Just yeah, I'm not, not much of a reader. Medical school. I I used to read loads, and then it it just destroyed my love of it. I think, and then now I'm tired, and I just yeah. can't focus on things. So. But that's <laughs> good. Listen to podcasts sometimes, like this um, one, obviously. <laughs> Um, what I uh, normally do is um, I've got Kindle, and with my mm. Kindle, uh, it's audio. So I'll get audio, so it reads the audio books to me, and uh, 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 and I can get to choose what voice I want. Uh, oh, really? The, you know. Oh, yeah. It's, and cool. I love it. I love, I love it. So, so, Anna, this is the most important question. And I suppose all of my, uh, our guests will say, Clinton is always right about this is being the most important question. Absolutely. <laughs> if I do say so myself. Um, you've got a million pounds to spend in 12 months. What what would you spend it on? Oh, wow. Oh, so I've got to spend it all within the 12 months. Yeah. Yes. Oh, oh, right. That oh, oh, it's it's got to left your account. <laughs> <laughs> okay. I think. Well, I would like to move to a house that has a garden. That mm. would be the first thing for me, I think. But then I was thinking I'd really then like to buy some land and have like a community garden. But because around here, there isn't anything like that. There's allotments, but you have to be able to do a lot of your own gardening in an allotment, don't you? It's, it, yeah. And whereas I think actually what we need or what would be really nice is some areas where like people could go who don't have gardens, grow their own veg. It could be a kind of community feel a bit of a hub for the you know people pop in and out and I don't know I just think that would be really nice around here and then a million pounds what else would I do with oh dear I didn't realize I had to spend it all over in time could all oh, because I have we could then also have like a community cafe attached yeah. to the garden where we use the produce and eventually that could become like a little business actually that could become self-sufficient but we could do craft you know have a craft thing and sell the crafts and could become a little like whole little center like community thing this is great what a wonderful idea it's like any uh, investors listening out there speak to anna <laughs> she's got, got a wonderful idea there exactly come and let my thing be built yes uh, yeah you know um, it, uh, community enterprise anna. Yeah. yeah community yeah. enterprise great that, i hope one day that happens <laughs> yeah yeah and, and remember you folks you heard it here first <laughs> Um, and um, my question now, the more serious point of why we get here, we you know, we know some of our listeners might not know much about social care futures. So, why did you get involved with social care future uh, movement in the first place? Yeah, so um, I guess kind of came through a, a long path, but I originally uh, started getting involved as. I suppose sort of personal lived experience in the sort of health world and NHS stuff and I was getting more and more involved and I was hearing about things like personalised care and these concepts about people having control over their lives and as part of that um, I got to know people like yourself Clinton and others who were in the social care world and it made me realise that actually reading things like making it real made me realise that what I was experiencing in social care so I myself have a direct payment and I employ PAs because I'm disabled but actually I wasn't experiencing that in my own life and more and more um, over time I got interested in the social care stuff and then I started hearing about this new thing called social care future that started up 
and it felt like a really different conversation. They produced a vision that's all about people's lives and that felt so different to what the sector was talking about and I suppose then I felt like actually this is something I want to get behind and I want to put my effort into and energies into because actually we can have that different conversation it's much more it felt much more inclusive of everybody was valued in that movement people who themselves draw on social care their family people who work in the sector anybody can be a part of it it's not it's inclusive rather than exclusive and I just thought yeah actually this is I feel like this could make a change and so I joined and now I'm one of the conveners. What does being a convener involve Anna? What do you have to do in, in that role? For me personally what it seems to involve a lot of is meetings with people from uh, other organisations trying to I suppose reshape the conversations a bit mm. and influence using our vision so often I'm in meetings and I'll say but what does that mean for people but what about people's lives but sure. surely the aim of reform should be about people's lives and yeah. bringing it always back to people and the other thing that I've done recently is um, my sort of bit that I led on was lived experience inquiry mm-hmm. uh, which Clinton was one of the inquirers on that and um, you know we, we tried to listen to what real people were experiencing yeah. and then pull out some key things that we think if they changed would actually improve people's lives and I think it's about we're trying to be proactive and give suggestions as conveners rather than just being an angry voice you know it's actually well actually let's look at what the solutions are that people are already doing and then try and make those happen yeah everywhere. makes a lot of sense and t- tell us a bit more about your um your aspirations for it as, as one of the conveners what where do you hope this might go where do you see it going yeah I mean in a way as a movement we have very low aspirations for ourselves in the sense that I would love it if in five years time ten years time there was no social care future because actually like people were experiencing the vision in their lives it's not about us becoming a thing as such I think we're a Hopefully we're a vehicle for allowing a different conversation to happen, allowing people to get involved and to feel a part of something. Because I think often people um, see things happening over there, but actually if you all feel a part of something, then it's more powerful, I think, together. I hope that Social Care Future influences the sector in a sense that, and it really has to some degree, that people are talking about people's lives rather than number of beds or number of care homes or you know those kind of metrics but also that people with lived experience themselves have more of a voice and are seen as part of the debate rather than just professionals which I hate that word but you know what I mean that's sort of the experts actually we're experts in our lives too and we should be part of those conversations so I hope that we've influenced that I hope that we've off a more hopeful future as a thing to aim for rather than just saying social care is in crisis you know we've we've hopefully offered an alternative that says look this is what social care should be and let's all try and get there together and, and I think it, it seems like um, it's getting quite a lot of profile and traction now I mean you were on Sky News recently weren't you um, talking about and that, I mean you did an incredible job of that may I just say I thought, it was, I thought that was brilliant but it, it's obviously Absolutely. obviously been recognized now as a, as a like you say as a really powerful voice of something different and and it's it's becoming more influential as a movement what was that experience like can I ask Oh, the Sky News one. Oh, yeah. it was terrifying. Oh. I, in the morning, I I was having, um, so like, you know, I don't have great health. So I was taking the morning as a rest morning before sure. and I had meetings in the afternoon and my phone kept beeping and I was like, Martin really wants to get hold of me. <laughs> and then I saw this message saying, have you seen the email from Sky News? And I was like, oh, no. 
So I had to get up and like sort myself out. And then I didn't have very long. I didn't know what questions they were going to ask. And it's because it's all by Zoom, you sort of log in and then you're in this like, just virtual world. You can see the news on one side and just see myself on the other. Yeah. And just waiting. It just felt, it was quite nerve wracking, I must admit. I was relieved when it was over because it was live as well. Yeah. And I've not really done, well, I've never, yeah. obviously never been interviewed on the news before. So yeah. Um, but it, I was pleased in a sense that the questions they asked, it allowed me to talk about social care from our perspective and what we think it should mean. You definitely didn't come across nervous when I was watching. I genuinely mean that because I thought this is, you must have been very well briefed and prepared for this. To, so to actually hear that it was just something that came out of the blue like that, it's uh, yeah. remarkable. Well done. Oh, thank you. And I, you know, I thought you were absolutely a star. Oh. You, don't, you, were, you were brilliant. So, you know, and I definitely think they heard your voice and the voice of many others are fighting to get heard. So, you know, uh, I'd like to say thank you on behalf of those uh, people because it was great and you were a natural. Bring, you'll have to give me some tips. <laughs> <laughs> it was like the swan, I think. Like on the surface, I was smiling and underneath I was like pad paddling away. But yeah. Just to pick up on the point of Nick has talked about social care and the aspirations. And you mentioned the inquiry, uh, uh, social care uh, inquiry. And they, um, from the report launch, there was five key challenges that were uh, presented. I'll just go through the five. And if you could give us a bit more detail behind the, the, the five key challenges. The first one was, uh, was one, communities where everyone belongs. Then it talked about number two, living in a place called home. Then it uh, talks about number three key uh, uh, challenge is leading the lives we want to uh, live. Number four is more resources, better used. The fifth one, not really for me, is the golden thread through all of it for, uh, for, for me. Sharing power as equals. What do these actually mean to, you know, someone who's not, of fight with social care because it's a fundamental shift yeah i think you're right i think they are fundamental shifts but in another way that they're really simple things and nothing new the things we've heard before and they're things that everybody should be experiencing but what we heard in the inquiry quite loudly was from a lot of people that they didn't feel that they did they didn't feel like they did belong to the community or they felt separated from the community in some way or that they weren't able to live where they wanted to live or they couldn't choose who they lived with and things like that. So that was where the second one really came out uh, about living in the place we call home. Because we all need that place that we feel safe and we feel it's ours and it's where we belong. And the third one, leading the lives we want to live. I think that came about really just because so many people told us that the things they wanted to do, they couldn't do or choices were taken away. Running through all of these was this sense of fight for a lot of people actually even to get where they've got to now it's been a real fight and a real struggle which I guess is where the fifth one as you say sharing power as equals comes in but the fourth one more resources better used I think is really interesting because actually so much of that power is held centrally and then the, the local authority decide how to kind of buy services and for us it's that actually 
a lot of those times they're buying things that people don't want to use or, or would choose to do something different if they actually had the freedom and the choice and were trusted to be able to do something a bit more flexibly and completely fitted in their lives. So for me, it's about, yes, we do need more money in social care, absolutely. But we also need to be able to start using things more imaginatively, innovatively, trying out different models, trying different ways. We know some of, a lot of them work. They're being done in different places. We've got examples that we can share, but I think it's about how we can allow people that choice. And so this thing called commissioning where councils buy like 80 blocks of whatever day service or 80 beds or whatever actually how can we say how can the money come to individuals and give people choice over where that money goes in different ways and then the power bit is so important because people need to be trusted and supported in those decisions rather than just sort of um i know in my situation often it feels like i'm under suspicion all the time that i've somehow spent my money on the wrong things or i've done something wrong and actually it should be a partnership i think between individuals and the local authority. I'm quite interested in the practicalities of making, uh, you know, um, even though you said it's common sense and f for me it's a fundamental shift because you have to look at the behaviour that would need to uh, make this materialise and, and, and happen. So uh, I know Social Care Futures uh, uh, mentioned making it real. So, you know, what does that actually mean from the perspective of, of you, Anna, you know, of making it real and, and the I and we statements? Yeah, so one of the things we've done is write to every director of social services in the country, inviting them to adopt the social care future vision and making it real, sort of almost as like a little combined package, um, because we think they work really well together. I think making it real describes, in a sense, a lot of the behaviours and things that would be in place to enable people to experience the vision in their lives. And I think you're right, it's a culture change. Um, we've already heard from quite a few areas that they want to do that. So we'll be kind of in the autumn working with some of those areas and TLAP and other partners looking at actually what would areas have to do on the ground to, sh to make these big shifts? Because we're talking about shifting things away from the kind of responsive, narrow sort of pathways that they often have now to much more sort of area-wide things and preventative models and people being given real choices and control over their lives actually what would an area need to do and that's not as simple always you know as we would like it to be but actually we we want to try and work with areas to support them in that and I think making it real and the vision together could be a really powerful way to have those conversations at local levels and with citizens as well, because you can take an I or a we statement and say, do you experience this now? And what could we do to, to change that? If you could just tell people about the vision, how it's described. It's really simple. It's just, we all want to live in the place we call home with the people and things that we love in communities where we look out for one another, doing the things that matter to us. And I think what makes it really powerful is that actually that's universal, pretty much. If you if you said to anybody, is this what you want in your life? They would probably agree. It's not about people that draw on social care. It's about all of us together. And some of us will need some support in different ways to achieve that vision in our lives at different times in our life and in different ways. 
in fact everyone will need some support at some point in their life nobody's an island nobody's doing this by themselves that's the whole point we want to be in those communities where we do feel that people are looking out for one another and it's not about saying that community then has to take over everything and there'll be no formal services ever for people you know it's about actually how do we for me it's about well-being and this term gets banded about but actually how do we have places where people are able to thrive and flourish and use their gifts in whatever form that is and just be a part of life and too often in the inquiry responses there was one where they were sort of saying you know, I sort of almost saying, I see life go by outside and I can't be a part of it. And, and that's just wrong. You know, we, we should, everybody should be able to be as much involved in the community as they wish to be and to be able to do the things that give them a sense of meaning in their life. Really interested in, from the perspective of social care uh, futures, where they ask some, some asks of different uh, systems leaders or people in the system. Could you tell us a bit more of why you felt you needed to do those asks yeah yeah we did make some initial asks and they were different depending on sort of different roles I think crucially there was things that everybody could do because we all have a part to play in this new social care future in the future whatever that will look like um but some people do hold power in different ways you know the government clearly have some power local authorities have power and providers have a different type of responsibility and power. And so I think we are, we made those initial asks really because we wanted people to be able to do some things now, but we're very clear that in the next phase of the inquiry, we're gonna look at those five key changes in much more detail and try and come up with real tangible, real changes that we can be very clear that actually these are some of the things you could do to make this happen. So it's not just a kind of nice idea everyone communities where everyone belongs it sounds lovely but how do we actually do it and we know that a lot of people within the movement have loads of great ideas for this this isn't us making like starting from scratch not at all it's actually about us pulling together all the different voices all the different experiences expertise that are, are in the movement because it's people that know this stuff and then being able to say right yep yeah, this is what we need to do and and then say to the government this is what we think you should do for this this is what we think you know one of the things we did ask was for um, a transformation fund from the government. So it's clear social care, social care needs more money, but we also think that some of that money needs to be dedicated towards innovation and transformation rather than just going into the system because the system will just swallow it up and it needs to be ring-fenced for, for areas that are trying to do things in a different way. So uh, if, if I said to you, Anna, just imagine you've you've got two minutes or three minutes of time with the new health and social care secretary, what would be the first thing you would say? I think, well, I'd say, welcome to your new job. And then I would just say, actually, please remember that you are Secretary of State for Health and Social Care. In fact, I think it should sometimes be Social Care and Health. And that actually both of those things are really vital and equally important and should take equal amount of your time but that actually they do different things and they can't just be lumped together and that social care's role is so much bigger than just trying to take the burden off the NHS 
yes, social care can stop people having to go into hospital as often because you can prevent falls and things like that. That's great. Yes, social care can allow people to be discharged home safely from hospital, but it's so much more than that. It's about people's lives. It's about working age adults as well as people in later life. It's about people being able to be part of the community, contribute to their community as well. And I think I really hope that as Secretary of State, he could see that and value social care for that rather than just seeing it as a sort of thing in crisis or as a thing that adds on to the NHS. It's it's different and it's it's a great thing in its own right. I hope he listens to uh, uh, people like yourself, Anna, and, and many others to, uh, to show and feel how important social care is and what it can do. It's really important. You know, in my life, my PA was off last week on the Monday because she wasn't well and suddenly you know it's like I can't have a shower I couldn't get to my medical well I did get to my medical appointment but it took me three hours instead of like 20 minutes I then almost had to miss my meeting in the afternoon you know and it's it's those everyday things it's about people just having ordinary good lives it's not about it's not some magic concept It, it is just about the everyday lives of people and I think that's what I want to get over to him, that actually that's why social care matters. Totally agree. And especially about the everyday interactions that people take for granted, but are magnified when you haven't got that uh, support and relationship that enables you to, to live a life. Yeah. So thank you very much for that and what all you do. Anna, thank you. Thanks, Clinton. And thank you so much, Anna. It's been just so inspirational listening to you reflect there and hearing you outline what is such a compelling vision, I think, and genuinely achievable ways of making a difference. If, if people listening to this have been inspired to do something, what, what should they do? What, what action can people take off the back of this? The first thing they could do is they could go to the Social Care Future website, socialcarefuture.blog. I want to say but I might be wrong you can join you can click there to join and you'll get an email every now and then with updates you can also find the report there from the inquiry group so you can download that there's some asks in the back of that there's the five key changes you know you can start having a conversation with your local area like Mm. how are you you know how are you doing this or link up follow us on twitter things like that I would say come to some of our events in the autumn and be part of those conversations because this will only happen if we're all together trying to do this. It's not about the four of us conveners or about different organisations doing things. It's about people like coming together. So uh, yeah, get involved. That's brilliant. Well, I'm sure many, many more people will off the back of uh, listening to this. And I just want to say um, thank you so much for uh, giving us your time today and uh, for sharing those reflections. It's been really, really powerful, really inspiring. And I think uh, this movement is very lucky to, to have you, if I may say so. And uh, I'm sure it'll keep going from strength to strength under your leadership and, and your co-conveners as well. So thank you very much. Thanks for having me. Thank you, Anna. Pleasure as always.